Welcome to episode number 98, The Voices of Fear and Doubt. This world of ours is filled with voices. Everywhere we turn, voices pierce our ears, our hearts, and our minds. The voices we seek out, the voices that seek us out, and even the ones in our head. There are voices marketing places to see, things to purchase, things to wear, and things not to wear. They tell us how we should think, what's right, what is wrong, what is acceptable, and what is not. They talk about the American dream, how we should live, what freedoms we should have, and what securities we should accept. The sheer quantity of voices feels like a river of fast-moving floods of rock and mud and trees barreling down upon us. Everywhere we go, we are indoctrinated by one opinion or another. Now, based on a host of environmental, cultural, spiritual, physical, emotional learning experiences, we have, over time, come to accept certain voices as true. Some as true most of the time, and still others we just simply ignore because they do not align with our lives or our beliefs. We also experience emotional responses to these voices. Our world is truly filled with emotion, even though we may not admit it. From the moment we wake up to the moment we enter the world of dreams, and even during those dreams, our world begins and ends with emotions. Life, our life, is a history of emotional context and emotional responses to external stimuli. We build life through emotion and interaction. If you think of any one moment in your life, you will find that you stored emotions with it, even the boring moments. The more emotional in the moment, the better you remember it. Interestingly though, we tend to have the strongest memories with the more negative emotions. It seems that our brains and our bodies abhor repeat mistakes, errors, and painful experiences. So much so that we have developed, we have a very developed memory regarding our negative experiences. We do also develop our happy moments, but these do not elicit as strong as memories as the negative ones. So we can struggle to remember our happy moments in the sun and tend to remember our moments where we stood alone soaking in the rain. However, our memory tends to recall the moments that reflect our current mood or attitude. For instance, it's difficult to remember a great day with the family on the beach or in the mountains when your morning with the children has been anything but great. Of course, we also tend to focus on repentance and change rather than viewing our lives from the perspective of perfection, meaning that we focus on our faults, errors, weaknesses, embarrassments as holding us back from eternity rather than viewing these experiences as valuable learning experiences to our eternal progression. We see failure as something to be discarded hidden, placed in a closet of skeletons, rather than viewed in the true light of the gospel of peace. Certainly, we should not bring up past sin and rehearse it over and over, and we should never seek it out. But in the end, our experiences with sin or with error do actually provide benefits if they have redirected our course. Interestingly, our past painful experiences cause us to develop an emotional response to various external stimulus. We call this fear. Fear is simply a warning signal sent to the brain to prepare it and the body for something unexpected or something that might be expected but doesn't have a timetable. For the most part, fear is a naturally developed and learned emotion. However, even though it is a learned emotion, the brain space for this learning is provided in the part of the brain that is responsible for subconscious behaviors meaning that it is found in the part of the brain that handles things 
we don't think about, such as breathing, pumping our heart, and probably too many processes to count. The location where fear is stored gives the emotion of fear priority over everything else in our bodies when it is activated by some type of stimulus. Fear is connected directly with the survival instinct. Our fear experiences will have some very high priorities attached to them for future reference. This means that these fear experiences will be some of the most memorable in our lives. Now, of course, it makes sense that the Lord would place this instinct into the bodies of mortal men and women. Otherwise, we would be likely to take chances with our lives that we should not. So fear is important to the body and its response to impending danger. We do need fear as part of our mortal journey. However, just as much as we need fear, it can and does become a serious hindrance to our progression. While we need fear to keep us from cuddling an angry black bear, fear is also responsible for the blank mind and our inabilities to perform tasks that we have done many times over, such as give a talk or a lesson or take a test. As I have noted, fear comes from learning and understanding possible consequences of actions. Take, for instance, fear arising when someone we love does not return home when we expect them. Now, this is a common experience at for almost everyone in our lives. And yet, without question, our minds tend to wander to the most serious consequences of the unknown outcome. We fear an accident, a death, or some catastrophic happening. Somewhere in our brains, we're programmed to do this. Call it a survival instinct, or an avoidance of added pain when the worst happens. Call it what you will. Fear will drive us to think far beyond the statistical possibilities and outcomes. A detrimental outcome of a car accident is going to be very small, and death from that, that accident even a smaller statistic. But we give such great weight to these small possibilities, and we focus on them rather than weigh the possibilities based on what is most likely to happen and what is most likely to occur statistically. It is important to understand this nature of ours to overemphasize the remote problems and to underemphasize the most likely outcomes. This is true for individuals, again, who do suffer with mental illness and who do not. However, mental illness will add a whole new dimension to the emotion of fear. Now, before I jump into the emotion of fear and mental illness, I wanted to add another emotional dimension into the picture. That emotion is doubt. Doubt and fear tend to run together when we have to make choices and decisions based on, let's say, limited knowledge. For humans, much of life is going to be based on limited knowledge, and we will face the unknown probably daily. Doubt is the emotion of indecisiveness brought about by fear. If there were never a fear in our emotions, doubt would never appear. But that is not the case, and will likely never be the case for any of us. Doubt is that feeling where one does not feel that they have sufficient evidence or understanding to make a firm decision about what we believe or even our future. Doubt is, in some ways, a type of fear. If we doubt, we are fearing to choose incorrectly. Before we get too down on the word doubt, I guess, it's important to remember that doubt itself is not the problem. It can be a catalyst to finding truth. Questions represent our doubts. If we have a doubt about the Book of Mormon, we are likely questioning its authenticity and, and attempting to find the truth. The doubting question is not a problem if the doubt stirs someone to action, to find out what is true. 
However, doubt has a much darker side where it can become paralyzing to us. If we allow serious levels of doubt in our minds without action to resolve the doubt, it can become a cloud of inaction, stopping progress and both physically and our spiritual lives. Now, talking about normal minds versus mental illness minds, the normal mind will obviously have doubts and fears. However, there is some control to these doubts and fears, and the emotions that come with them that come to the surface, they come in more expected ways, meaning normally we don't fear or doubt without something pending like a talk or a performance, a difficult question or a difficult discussion with a spouse or a colleague. The normal body does not turn on the fear emotion unless external stimuli cause it to be activated. Now, when we talk about minds afflicted with mental illness, we find the same types of things that we do with the normal mind, but in addition to the normal doubts and fears, the afflicted body will turn on the emotional states of fear and doubt without a reason, meaning that we will be anxious, nervous, depressed, without context or even anything to trigger the emotional state. What this means is that we have emotions with no logical reason for them. Now, the mind needs the logical reason for why we are feeling anxious or fearful. And so, because the mind does not like this disjointed problem of feeling doubt and fear without a reason, the mind will begin to insert a false reason or search until it finds one that makes sense. Of course, any reason is going to be a false one, because no reason exists except for the mental illness. The body activates these emotions as actually part of the illness, part of the body chemistry. Once we enter our episode of mental illness and the forced emotional states of fear and doubt, our mind is left to fill in the blanks. Filling in the blanks doesn't make rational sense because there are no true reasons. And saying that I am mentally ill and these feelings are just part of the illness really only gets you so far. That is because our emotional state is truly our reality. We see life through these emotional states. So the mind has to provide the backstory so that the emotions are justified. Often, depression feels like sin. So we will return to our past memory of sins, believing that we might not have sufficiently repented. We will dig up our grievances, relationships, abuse, pain, and suffering so that we can feel as though our pain has value and meaning. When we try to work through the past issue, telling ourselves that we had resolved the issues or grievance, doubt seeps into the mix. And those terrible words come to the mind, are you sure? Or if that is the case, why do you feel the way you do? Why do you feel so bad? And so we fight our conscience until we give in to some made up reason about our current feelings that for the most part isn't true. Now, doubt and fear has always been part of my life because of mental illness. There isn't much that I haven't doubted in the gospel at one time or another. When the episodes come and it deepens above one's capacity, doubt always walks in the door side by side with, side by side with his friend fear. They, of course, come and sit down, and that voice begins in our heads. Why do you feel depressed today? Why do you feel bad? Did you do something wrong? Did you forget something? Why do you feel guilty? Did you sin? Did some past sin or error not receive its full attention? Now, unfortunately, no answer will be satisfactory to these questions of doubt and fear. No matter how you answer the questions, you are going to continue to feel doubt with any answer. A couple of major problems arise when the body turns on the doubt and fear chemistry, 
and they flow into our hearts and minds without reason. The first of these issues is generally the worst. Our minds are not programmed to doubt. Question, yes, but not doubt. Our mind abhors the indecisive feeling that comes with doubt, and so it tends to dwell on our problems of doubt until we find a resolution for those feelings. If it can't link the feeling with some past mistake or sin, then it can't resolve the indecisive feelings. So in the end, it is very easy to attribute our feelings of doubt and fear to our own past actions, and that we are actually deserving of the guilt, pain, and suffering that is occurring within our minds and bodies. Now, the second problem associated with doubt is that, in some senses, it robs our faith, and then our happiness, by lessening our ability to feel the Spirit. When feelings of doubt, indecisiveness, fear, enter our minds, a battle of spiritual faith and mortal doubt begins. Our testimony, or of all the spiritual evidence, our testimony, or all that spiritual evidence we have received through our efforts throughout our life, and the fundamental feelings of truth, are slowly replaced with questions and doubts about the answers. That is because our feelings are bound into our experience. As doubt and fear enter our minds, our memory will shift to moments where we have felt these emotions, bringing with it all of our past sins and insecurities. Without the ability to feel the spirit, or even a lessened capacity to feel the spirit, our memories of spiritual experiences will be difficult for us to recall. Those spiritual moments we have experienced are fundamental to our testimony and conversion. Without the ability to easily return to spiritual moments and, as you say, feel them or relive them again, we can become as one who is searching the gospel anew, asking fundamental questions that really have already been answered. Now, through depressive and anxiety-laden incidents, I have been brought to those moments of question, doubt, and indecisiveness, and feeling as though I had lost my way and my testimony, and as though I no longer knew what was true or if it mattered to me. Being within the vortex of mental illness, one can easily feel as though they have lost their testimony, or worse, that our Father in Heaven does not exist, or if He does, He doesn't care. Now, I felt those moments regularly during my episodes. Then, when the episode has subsided, spiritual feelings slowly returned, and the symptoms of doubt and fear would also ease. I would then be able to place piece my testimony back together, remember, remembering and feeling those spiritual moments in my life. I have, in many ways, been converted to the gospel over and over again through my illness. But the moments of depression and anxiety have caused me grief, loneliness, and fear. For some individuals, depressive or anxiety-laden moments last for months and years, ebbing and flowing but never really subsiding. The consistent feelings of depression and anxiety can make spiritual life sometimes feel as a trickle of living water rather than a a spring welling up inside of us. So what do we do when our episode strikes and we feel those darkened moments of fear and doubt? Now, how do we navigate the difficulty of conversion with the added pressures of those feelings and indecisiveness? How do we come unto Christ when our source of light has been darkened for a time? Now, of course, I'm not a trained professional, but through my experience, these are some of the answers to those questions that I have found. 
One, I recognize the feelings for what they are, symptoms of my illness. Feelings brought about by body chemistry, not something I did, meaning when I feel the pains in my chest and, de- and the depression and the anxious emotions emerge, I tell myself what I feel is depression or anxiety or both symptoms of my illness. I attempt to recognize or identify the symptoms for what they are. Now, this doesn't take away those feelings, but it helps me to put them in proper place and redefines them within my mind as symptoms rather than my reality. Now, the second thing is when I feel like my testimony is waning and I begin to question what I believe and I have recognized it as the mental illness, I try to avoid making decisions about what I do and do not believe to be true, meaning I attempt to hold my ground and wait for the feelings to subside before I move forward with any action. This does mean that I read scriptures, attend church, attend the temple, and do what I can to help maintain the spirit, even though I may not feel its full effect in my life. I avoid asking fundamental questions about doctrine and the truth of the doctrine. My intent during this time frame is not to make any serious changes about what I believe or my standing with the Lord during those episodes. So three, another way that I have navigated these feelings was and is to disregard them and to turn to a more rational perspective, meaning I specifically choose not to trust my feelings, whether they were correct or not. I would, and still do at times, lean upon my rational side of mind rather than what I feel. Now, I understand this is not an easy task. Generally, our emotions consume us when an episode arrives. It's going to feel impossible to ignore the feelings and to shift to a more purely rational mind. So what do I mean by switching to the rational? Instead of feeling that the word of wisdom or the law of chastity is true through inspiration from the spirit and my own experiences, I switch to the rational thoughts that takes it that takes into account my experiences and testimony with them. I know that in the past I have felt a great testimony of the commandments. While I may not feel the truth during the moments of an episode, rationally I know that I have a testimony, and I cling to that knowledge until I can again feel the workings of the Spirit. Now I have found this very effective, but difficult. No matter how hard you try to push away the doubtful or fearful emotional context and those feelings of the moment, they are still working in your mind. Disregarding the emotional context can also make one feel as though they are rejecting their own identity. You can feel more like two people living in the same body. However, for me, this shift to rational thought and explanation is one of the many methods I have used regularly during my episodes to stay attached to gospel principles. So number four, avoid the trap of doing more, being more. Now this one has taken me a very long time to learn. Mental illness requires a balance in one's life to maintain mental, emotional, and spiritual health. When those darkened feelings come as part of the illness, it can feel as though we are failing and not doing enough. That feeling then leads to the do more, be more reaction, both of which tends to cause further problems with mental illness. For those who suffer, this idea of do more, be more is not the answer to our doubtful feelings and fears. Balancing our effort, getting the rest we need, pulling back sometimes from current assignments um, is what should be done. 
We are likely to feel guilty when we do this, even though it is exactly what our body and mind need. Now, I've struggled with this balance probably more than I should. I think it comes from just that independent nature and culture where I've been raised and the answer to never say no to service. But if one is willing to rationally throw out the guilt and maintain a healthy balance of effort based on what we can do, episodes are going to be, tend to be shorter and feelings towards the gospel stronger. Collapsing ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, trying to do more and be more, does not provide for any benefit or a fertile ground from which our testimony can grow. Now, fifth, and finally, and this is probably the most important, is that we go to our Father in Heaven with all our concerns, feelings, thoughts, and pain, and we ask for help. This doesn't mean that we ask once and then leave it for the Lord to take care of. This means we discuss it with the Lord, exactly what is happening, what you feel you need from Him regularly. Working through the various problems with the help of the Lord. Asking can mean many things, of course. Prayer is certainly one form to ask, but we can ask the Lord for help by doing what we can to keep the commandments. We can look towards professionals and our support system for help, and we can ask for priesthood blessings and spiritual counseling from our leaders. Now, while I really don't like the feelings of fear and doubt that have come through my mental illness, I recognize the value that they have actually really brought into my life. I've had the blessing to work through building my testimony over and over again. Now, while that may not sound like much of a blessing, it has been very helpful to me in solidifying my testimony of a loving, forgiving Savior and the power of the priesthood and its covenants. While I can't say that I've always looked upon mental illness as a blessing in my life, I do see value for me and my personal spiritual experiences and my testimony. I suppose that when I get to the other side, I will see even greater blessings and will be grateful, more grateful for my experiences. Now, may the Lord bless you and provide for you in your doubts and fears. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do his.